No credentials. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sound Logic Podcast. And with so many choices out there, we want to thank you for choosing to spend this time with us. Today, we're discussing album number uh, something different. Is that okay? Yeah. Keep, keep going. Yeah. Cheering you on. Uh, today, we're discussing album number 77 on Rolling Stone's list. This is Who's Next by The Who. And this is, uh, we haven't actually haven't had a lot of these lately because we've been nope. doing a lot of new reviews. But um, if you're new to the podcast, uh, when Rolling Stone rebooted their list, we decided to start over with the new list because we were only part of the way through their 2012 list. And so there's a lot of episodes where we've already reviewed the album. So what we're doing is just a little intro and then we will uh, publish our previous review. So we're just going to talk for a few minutes about this. So this is Who's Next. It's ranked number 77. But I think the biggest thing here, Ben, that we should talk about is this is quite a drop. It was 28 and now it's down to 77. Uh, so do you want to start with that? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, it seems so unnatural for us to not spend five minutes having uh, puns about the who's uh, and who, who, who word specifically. Um, but um, yeah, I guess we can get to something actually legitimate. That, that, that works. Uh, the drop. This feels like I, I feel like even when we reviewed it the first time, we felt like while we enjoy the, who, the who's music, it doesn't sound as revolutionary as it did, I'm sure, to its original audience. It sounds mm-hmm. like standard, well-made rock and roll. Um, and I'm guessing that because it's not, you know, like Zeppelin plays with the time signature and, uh, uh, you know, the, the Beatles got into psychedelia and, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, so many, uh, you know, Jimmy's wild guitar solos. Uh, right. The Who were really, really good and really, really um, exceptional for that moment. But I don't think we look back, maybe maybe we look back on them for being incredible performers, but I don't think we ever look back on them for being exceptional compared to their peers. They're really, really good at what they did. Um, and so I think maybe all that rambling to say, I think that's perhaps why we're seeing them fall off a little bit here now. Mm. No one's looking back retrospectively and saying, this is where rock music turned forever, right? Um, they're looking back and saying, yeah. this is incredible or really good, yeah. but yeah. Um, the innovative piece mm. maybe is, uh, yeah. I, I think there's probably a lot of people who would have contention with a lot of what you just said. However, yeah. I think the last... <laughs> Tell me where I'm wrong, man. <laughs> well, I think the most important thing, or I think uh, in my mind, what, what really is the key there is what you said about innovation. And I think there were other bands that, if, and if we have the, the benefit of looking back over 50 years, other bands that changed it in a different way. I think that some of the technology, like if you think about the, you know, the sounds they made at the, the opening track, Bob O'Reilly, uh, Teenage Wasteland, if you're less familiar with the title, um, the sounds and the kind of repeating synthesizer they use was like innovative and new, but it didn't necessarily, I think, change the sound like Beatles, Stones, Hendrix, Zeppelin, 
or even you know going a little further like a Van Halen or, or other things that really really molded uh, Velvet Underground molded a genre or something I think they were a really great rock band in the midst of a lot of really really great rock bands yes and that's a much politer way of saying what I was trying to say. Uh, I think if you were to say, you know, who who are I think, you know, top top ten rock bands of the sixties and seventies, I think the Who would often be on that list, at least top twenty. You know, definitely a very very good band. With top five, maybe top five mm-hmm. British bands, rock bands, maybe. Um, and I think some for me, some of the songs on here like Bob O'Reilly and Won't Get Fooled Again are just huge pillars of rock music. You know, they're going to be on every classic rock playlist. Um, so that makes this special. But back to, I think, your initial comments, we both felt that maybe the ranking last time was a little high. Yeah. Uh, and I I haven't gone back and listened to our review. I, I don't know if we said that, but, but it wouldn't I shock me. I think I remember me. saying that, yeah. It wouldn't shock me. We both said, I thought it was maybe a little high. Um, it's a big jump, about about 50 spots down here. Um, you know, making, as we talk, making room for other artists, newer artists, more, more diverse group of artists. Um, so maybe if that was ranked a touch high for our liking, then it's not as big a drop. But uh, uh, <laughs> I was a little surprised because it is, you know, it, it's an important album. It was a big hit. And, Lots and of hits too. There's two, so many. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Behind Blue Eyes and other ones that maybe aren't radio hits, but like are well known. Going Mobile, um, Song Is Over. You know, great, great tunes. Great tunes. Bargain, Bargain definitely gets lots of airplay too, doesn't it? Ah, uh, maybe not. I don't know. It's familiar. <laughs> I guess it depends on what station, but yeah, absolutely. Sure. So, um, I'm. I was. I guess I'm a little shocked at how much, but if you think about it, maybe it's it's appropriate. I, I don't mind it here, especially in, you know, we, we've often said the first list, the 2003 and the 2012, which was quite similar, was really, you know, 60s, 70s rock centric. That was that kind of the core. There were there was some blues, there was some jazz, there was a little bit of other stuff, but the, really the core was like, let's highlight all the great rock acts from the 60s and 70s the foundation of what we do at rolling stone that's what it felt like to me um and then of course we move into the 2020 list which is just encompassing of all music i'll say western music because <laughs> it's not not really any international music but western music it's a lot of it a uh, little light on country but um all of it so it makes sense to move here down to 77 yep. I think that's right. Is that is that enough? I I think so. Um, <laughs> I will say I I remember that sense of feeling like it was too high. So when I pressed play on it today, I thought, "Wow, there's some good stuff here." Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so um, yeah, it's an interesting. It won't be fooled again. It's one we didn't even name there in that rundown of of songs that gets played a lot. Um, so yeah. I, I, I think this is an album, I've said this a few times, I expected to come across albums like this, where a lot of the music was familiar, a lot of it sounds great, just wasn't familiar to me. And I think I immediately feel a sense of comfort with these kinds of albums, um, 
as opposed to the ones where it's just all brand new and I have to like get into it somehow. Um, right. So, um, yeah, it definitely deserves to be on the list. Not too surprising that it's fallen a little bit. Um, I, weirdly, I think the thing I remember most about this conversation was realizing that they just urinated on that pillar <laughs> on the cover uh, yeah <laughs> on the cover art and uh how bizarre that is they're all doing up their flies uh yeah uh, <laughs> so rock and roll i guess i don't know <laughs> yeah well um, maybe not I, in the middle in the middle of nowhere it'd be you know rock and roll is like on the yeah. street or on, on the parliament <laughs> building or something right um, we um, we have one more thing though to discuss, and that was a teaser that you mentioned at the last yes. uh, episode, and that's why you have two copies of this. Yes, well, you know, I uh, we've mentioned before a few years ago. I got into vinyl. I've started a record collection, as you have as well. Kind of got and, me into vinyl too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I will definitely take credit for that if you're going to give it to me. Um, no. So we were we were thrifting uh, maybe a couple months ago, uh, and I picked up a few good uh, classic rock albums. Uh, I got uh, Bob Dylan, Rolling Stones, Neil Young, The Who, um, CCR, and I was going through them at home, and and it was a thrift store that I wouldn't regularly go for good quality vinyl, mm-hmm. and I mean not the not the the music, but the the quality of the discs. And I brought them mm-hmm. home. I started listening to some of them, and they were in quite poor condition. Um, and I just got busy and the summer kind of started and and I didn't really listen to all of them. And then maybe a month later, I was at another thrift store nearby going through. And again, there was a lot of classical and Christmas albums and stuff. But I was finding a few. I found uh, Janis Joplin's Pearl, um, which is on this list at some point. And I found uh, Who's Next? And I pulled it out and I looked at it and thought, oh, this is in, this is in good condition. And I was standing there going, do I have this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't remember putting it on and spinning it. No, I don't think I have it. And I came home, and the first thing I did is went downstairs to where I have my record player, and there it was. Um, and I was like, great, now I have two. Now, the second one I got is in much better condition, so I'll probably just toss the... The other one because it's in quite poor condition but that's um, funny well we I think... I, that almost happened to me uh while we were shopping <laughs> together just a few weeks ago oh right um, yeah you pulled up a cat stevens album and i said i've got that one and then thought oh maybe i don't and the whole way home i thought shoot i should have picked that up got home walked in and pulled it off the shelf and thought, oh, oh good, yeah. good good you made yeah so you you <laughs> did the, the right thing call. but i mean yeah uh i guess if you're not especially we're at both at the point where we're kind of collecting and we're collecting what we want right you could you know we're not going to go and spend hundreds of dollars on vinyl especially you know oh i kind of like that artist um because some some of the vinyl is quite expensive uh, especially if it's a good quality vintage or or new press um it can be quite expensive so we're kind of picking and choosing but we're getting quite a lot and and i was getting quite a lot you know i'd bring home five or six at a time and if i haven't listened to them all or really sorted them out i kind of forget what i have yeah i was flipping through and realized from that first batch i mentioned that uh cosmos music factory by ccr i was like oh i haven't even listened to this yet (laughs) like i haven't gone through it so anyways um if you need a spare copy of who's next i have one all right. Uh, if you're near, <laughs> if you're nearby me, and uh, and you want one, I might end up giving you the poor quality one though. So be, uh, buyer beware. Buyer, I'll just give it to you. You want? It. Anyways, uh, 
I think that's good. Is yeah, we've rambled we on to long say? enough to, yeah. uh, with a whole other episode still to come. If you stuck around uh, this long, thanks for listening to our ramblings. Um, next time, we've got another re-review. It will be the Sun Sessions compilation of Elvis Presley's early music coming in at 78. But coming up next is our original review of Who's Next coming up right after this. I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are discussing album number 28 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time, which is Who's Next by The Who. The Who. <laughs> and how often will we make that pun through this episode? <laughs> you should guess. Uh, guess who? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be that kind of episode. Yeah. Had you listened to this album before, Ben? No, this is a brand new one for me. So, since you haven't listened to it, what kind of it? Yeah, same, same answer. Um, I hadn't. So since neither of us has has listened to it, um, I want to skip right to, you know, what did you, being brand new, what were kind of your expectations, your preconceived notions about what it would be like? Yeah, I I guess I would say since we kind of, uh, a lot of our teenage years were spent listening to uh, classic rock on Q107 in the cornfield, I know a lot of songs by The Who. I'm not exactly Mm -hmm. sure what about them has never compelled me to pick up an album. Um, I yeah. may have picked up like a one of those chintzy greatest hits that are like unauthorized, you know, the the back of uh, yeah. Future Shop or something like that. Eight tracks or something of totally overplayed songs. I might have one of those kicking around somewhere. Or maybe I got rid of it. Uh, but so I, I guess my pre- preconceived notions were that this album would have a couple of those major hits on it. Um, that it would be sort of classic rock in the classics uh, in, the, in the very classic of classic notions <laughs> uh, sort of 4-4 four, four timing <laughs> wow. for all songs and uh, and right. lots of big yes. booming guitars and uh, I have this image in my head of like the Who doing their windmill guitar motion um, and so I guess that was all kind of tumbling through my head as I was imagining what this might be when I pressed play for the first time how about you? I love that you mentioned the windmill guitar, and I'll get to that in just a second, but I it can resonate with pretty much everything you said. I have one of those greatest hits that, again, has, you know, all their really well, like, I on the greatest hits, I know most of the songs. So I expected, I knew that I would know, you know, I Won't Get Fooled Again and Bob O'Reilly, I knew those, and didn't really know anything else. So I expected them to be kind of uh, just very generic, straight up and down rock and roll. Uh, the windmill a number of years ago i had i guess i had my greatest hits the who on and my son who was well, this must have been like five years ago comes into the room and i said do you like this he goes yeah and he starts doing 
the windmill guitar thing. No way. And I had never introduced him to The Who or anything about no The Who way. before. And my jaw hit the floor. I said, that's awesome. I, where did you see that? And he said, I don't know. I just started doing it. I, and I said, hold on. You've never seen that done anywhere before? I don't think so. Have you heard this music before? No, I don't think so. He had never... He claims... And he was just a little kid. I don't think he was trying to pull one over on me. He claims he had never, ever heard The Who or associated Pete Townsend's windmill guitar Uh. with The Who. Yet, upon hearing it for the very first time, this is the thing he does. Either that's the weirdest coincidence ever, or they have uh, somehow designed something scientifically to physiologically make someone want to do that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like... <laughs> I think probably more so the former. I'm not even sure where, like, I get that notion from, because I wasn't a huge fan. I don't know if, it, like, they performed you must have it seen on the it somewhere. Because it's not like they were making music videos that we were watched, you know, in our high school years. Uh, maybe on, like, some kind of history channel show about the, the who i don't know or the history of rock and roll um, i think for for that he's he made it so famous that it's just kind of another rock and roll guitar move yeah that people so. just do right yeah so i could see that you growing up might have had that image and seen it somewhere but and maybe my son had seen it somewhere maybe or it's just in the ether of you know rock stuff it was a motion he would have made for any classic rock sounding something. <laughs> sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd never yeah. seen him d- do it before. So anyways, huh. that was kind of just kind of blew my mind. But um, yeah, so I have no really memory of the album. Um, the, you know, Bob O'Reilly, we always knew. I, I think I picked up the greatest hits or the one I have because our friend Steve, I think, really liked The Who when we were listening to that kind of rock. And I think he had some of at least one of their greatest hits oh. compilations and maybe some of their albums. Can you run down and, the street and get him? Maybe he wants to be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's uh, he's on board for a very, very uh, much anticipated oh, album oh, coming up. Oh, good, good. <laughs> Later. Uh, if, if he's willing to do it. I don't know if he's really wants to do the podcast thing, but I think we can convince him. <laughs> but yeah, um, Maybe when I'm editing, I'll go down and get him and see if he can put some sound bites in. But I feel like he always really liked The Who. So I think that's why. And I had a friend, I guess we're just getting into memories now, but since it doesn't really have to do the album, I had a friend who uh, we were in a like a little punk band in high school, but he he could play some other stuff too. He He could play piano a bit, but he learned, I think on guitar, how to play Pinball Wizard. Oh. And that was kind of like, oh, what's this you're playing? Like, well, this is from Tommy. Well, what's Tommy? Well, Tommy's a like a rock opera by The Who. Yeah. Like, oh, that's cool. And um, I had some friends that went to the art school in Unionville, a Unionville high school. Yeah. And they, I think in one of my last years, uh, their annual production was Tommy. Huh. Um, and we went down and watched. And we, I knew a few different people uh, who were in that because uh, it's kind of the next town south. It, it, I, I mean, I didn't know much about musical theater. I thought it was great. A bunch of high school kids put this on, and you know, it was getting into more of the digital age, so there was a lot of audiovisual um, aspects in production as well. There was a live band playing all the songs. Wow. It was great for, for a bunch of, you know, 14 to 18-year-olds. Yeah. It was incredible. It was really well done. So uh, we'll get... 
Tommy will come up here shortly, yeah. so we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah, for me this one I, I was not when I saw this on the list, it wasn't in my mind greatly anticipated. I wasn't like, "Oh, I'm so excited to get to who's next." And I'm not yeah. I'm trying to cast judgment, just in my mind it wasn't one that I was really 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 looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I think it feels um a little similar to uh, getting to the Rolling Stones, like a band that I've always known about, mm-hmm. um, but yep. have no sense yep. of their discography and how it how it sort of unfolds, and and have no sense even where their singles fit. So, yeah, right. And I think, and again, uh, that's a great example. Saying nothing about the band, but more just about me and how I listen to music. I uh, I've never wanted to do a deep dive mm. into either one of those bands, yep. really. The Rolling Stones, again, one of the biggest bands ever, and I've never been compelled to buy any of their albums. Again, that says nothing about the band and how good they are, because they're great, but I've just never, really never been that interested. There's some people right now listening to this podcast, I'm sure, who are just like gripping their chair that they're sitting in thinking like, what is wrong with you people? Uh, Because I know like this is such an iconic part of rock and roll history. Uh, We should be, these should be bands that we do deep dives in. We should, I think... Perhaps if we if we really consider ourselves to be uh, yeah. true music fans, have a better knowledge maybe of the Who and the Rolling Stones, but for whatever whatever reason, yeah, of course. And by the we time will. we're done, <laughs> by the time we're done this yeah. list, we're going to do probably about another dozen albums uh, for for these two bands. So, yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's that's just kind of the lead up to it. Um, Great. So, well, let's just get right into some details. Details, 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 details. So this album was released uh, August 14th, 1971. It was written entirely music and lyrics by Pete Townsend, except for My Wife by John N. Twistle, the bassist. Uh, so uh, there's four members in The Who, Pete Townsend on guitar and uh, synthesizer, John N. Twistle on bass, Keith Moon on drums and percussion, and Roger Daltrey on vocals. Uh, this album charted number one in the UK, number four in the US, and we don't usually have a listing for this, but number five in Canada Woo-hoo. in 1971, which is pretty cool. Uh, certified worldwide sales of uh, 3.35 million, so that's just a certification, and 3 million of that is certified in the US. So I find it hard to believe that they only sold 300,000 in the UK uh, if they went number one in the UK. But then again, uh, the US has a much greater population. Yeah. So, um, uh, so a lower, huh, 3 million, nothing to laugh at, but a lower number than a lot of the big albums we've talked about yeah. that are 9, 15, 40, yep. you know, stuff like that. Um, so here we go. Of the nine tracks on this album, eight of them were from a salvage project that Pete Townsend was working on, working on called Lifehouse, and this was an attempt at another rock opera to follow up 1969's Tommy. So they did Tommy in 1969, which was a rock opera and was very successful, and they did a movie and everything. Uh, so he was trying to do another one, but it just wasn't working out. Uh, lots of different conflicts and tons of reasons that I, I won't list. Uh, so they scrapped it, but they took, uh, there, there are even more songs and I didn't look up exactly which, one, but there are more songs that 
feature on later albums as well. They keep kind of just digging into this uh, well that he had created of uh, material. But eight of these tracks uh, are from Lifehouse. The only one that's not is is My Wife, which is what John Entwistle wrote. Uh, it was, I don't think any awards when it came out, but in 2007, this album was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. I, I looked up what the Rolling Stone had to say, and it wasn't really anything... Uh, revolutionary uh the one there was one quote from pete towns townsend uh asked about uh his vast use of synthesizers on this album because there's a ton of synthesizer i mean the synthesizers were like the size of your bathroom back then (laughs) they were huge and um uh what he said is um i like synthesizers (laughs) so uh there you have it. That's why he. That's why he wanted him on there. <laughs> well, so yeah. I mean, uh, it might be worth. Uh, <laughs> that's really funny. It might be worth mentioning here. Um, occasionally, we've referenced that Rolling Stone has a list of the greatest songs of all time, and uh, okay, yeah, Bob O'Reilly uh, shows up on that list. I. It makes me wonder a little bit if, because it's such an iconic song, if that's what elevates this album to this position. Um, but we'll get to some of that as we start going through our reflections on it, I guess. Um, but all that to say, I guess, as we're going through details here, um, it's got some significant songs on it. Absolutely. Or a, a, a couple, two at least, significant songs. <laughs> uh, at least two. Yeah. Yeah, that has happened, I think, a few times. You know, we argued uh, quite heavily in favor of that for the number four album, Highway 61 Revisited, that it was almost solely there because of like a Rolling Stone. Right. Uh, you know, uh, we have come across a few people who have argued that point, uh, which is which is great. Uh, you know, I love to hear different viewpoints, but we really struggled with the other things about that album yeah. that made it great that there are some songs that are so significant and mm-hmm. such a game changer in terms of music and culture i think bob o'reilly is definitely one of those uh, we'll get into it but with just some of the things that are happening sonically are really revolutionary and uh, innovative for yeah. the time so for sure i think i think this could be up there it, it was a successful album mm-hmm. um, and is one that's familiar Speaking of familiar, was this cover the artwork? Was that familiar to you? No, that wasn't either. Did you re- did, did you, re- did you re- no? no. I, I feel like I recognized it, but never really looked at it. So, okay, here's the album artwork. Uh, very small. This is one. So we've talked about albums that don't have the artist name or the title on at all. This yeah. one, it's it's top center, but very small. The, the W in Who is capitalized but the rest is lowercase very small black who's next next all lowercase Mm -hmm. who's next um so right in the middle is this monolithic looking concrete piling which is in the middle of a slag heap uh this was the photo was taken in easington colliery colliery not sure how to pronounce some of those english (laughs) names this is in durham county in england and it's a uh uh yeah Hey, you grew up in, in Durham. Uh, Durham region <laughs> in Ontario. Um, yeah, this is a, an old mining town. So it's in the middle of this uh, slag heap and they're standing around it. And uh, 
there's a few details that I didn't notice about this album. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the concept, the uh, the photographer wanted to take something inspired by Stanley Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey, which uh, again people are going to scream at me about a movie I have not seen that I'd like to see. Um, there's an image in there apparently that is similar to this, and the the artist wanted all of the members of the band to urinate on the concrete. Um, and the only one who agreed to do so is Pete Townsend. <laughs> and so there's these black marks on the bottom and that's supposed to be the, the urine. I thought it was shadows for years. Yeah. I didn't even look at it. Apparently though, they just got a can with some water and just dumped it. And uh, you can see that three of them, and I believe it's John Entwistle, Keith Moon and Roger Daltrey are all doing up their flies. And I didn't, yeah. I just thought they were posing or holding onto their belts, right. but they're doing up their flies as if they've just pissed all over this yeah. concrete. And if that's Pete Townsend in the middle, I think it is, he's the only one who's not doing up his fly, he's but he's the, the only, only one who peed. actually peed, which is, which is funny. Um, it's a strange image. Uh, who's the guy in the, in the blue shirt? I think that's Keith Moon. Okay. Pretty sure that's Keith. He Moon. has the sort of the strangest look uh, that, that does, seem like someone who maybe just was peeing the others could all just sort of see be seen as casual i don't know exactly what they're doing maybe but he has a weird weird kind of posture and expression and his hands everything about that he's like one of these things do not belong kind of um but they're very rock and roll with their button-up shirts and a long almost bell bottom but not quite and you know just sneakers on very uh very rock and roll. So uh, the, the one other note is that the sky is a composite image. So they, the sky was, I can't say Photoshop because that didn't exist, but the sky was added oh, in after to give kind of an ominous effect. So that it, it really looks like it fits, but apparently that, um, that sky wasn't there at all. Um, an interesting album, not quite, not maybe as striking as some of the other ones. And then we've discussed interesting though because this is probably and i haven't fact checked this but this is probably or for many years was a place that you could visit yeah. like abbey road you could go with your mates and pee on this thing and recreate the album cover <laughs> or you could just stand there which is probably more acceptable <laughs> and i think that also makes an album cover more iconic when it's a physical place in our world yeah, that you could go yeah. to as opposed to just you know somewhere in a studio with a backdrop that they're just going to take down 10 minutes later. It feels very rock and roll, but also um, like a strange choice. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I almost, uh, I don't know if you ever watched South Park uh, <laughs> at any point in your life. There's an, uh, an episode where <laughs> there's an episode get where into it. Cartman, I believe, forms a uh, Christian rock group because he realizes that if he just puts Jesus in place of other words, um, that he can sell millions of albums. And uh, they take it; they go to the beach and film this like cover shot that looks kind of like this. And I'm just now realizing maybe it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek. Oh, okay. They're all standing on rocks, and each of them are sort of looking in different directions, and they're like. No one smile. This is so rock and roll, <laughs> and and, uh, and that's sort of what this is. It just sort of, I don't know. It feels like okay, we're showing off the bands. Let's put them in a sort of generic landscape. Uh, I don't know. The peeing thing still just feels really weird. Um, 
<laughs> I feel I feel conflicted about this album cover. I can't decide whether to like it or not, um, which is super appropriate it, it, for this album. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I hope this doesn't have to do with the album, but it does thread that line between interesting and boring. Yes. It's like yeah. it could go it it could go, you know, you could look into it and it like kind of the urinating thing yeah. is like Oh, that's it. It's kind of weird and interesting. And why'd you do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then on the other hand, like the color doesn't really jump out. The guys are quite small. Right. And they're not peeing um, on like the you know, like something sacred either. Yeah, exactly. Right. That like would make it, it's like way more like I don't know, rock and roll kind of if it was like Yeah, peeing peeing on something is like an F you to the man, like right? Queen's face or something like that. Or, yeah. Exactly. Or some statue of some, you know, uh obscure right. political figure from the past, but because they won't get in right. trouble because he's been no. dead for three hundred years, but it is a statement. Yeah, you know, something like that, right? Yeah. We would expect that. But this is this just looks like they've been all they've been camping or something. Like they're tents just out of the yeah. screen. And, yeah, they got uh, they got lost <laughs> after a bend. They got up in the morning and, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Took there, a pee before packing when, when up. you <laughs> unless you've just gone into the alley to relieve yourself, um when you pee on something in public, it's to make a statement. <laughs> but this this is just right. a concrete, yeah, just a exactly. lump of concrete. So, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so track listing, uh, only nine tracks. So side one starts with Bob O'Reilly, also known as Teenage Wasteland. Bargain. Love ain't for keeping. My wife. The song is over. The song is over. And side two starts with getting in tune. Going mobile. I'm going home. And when I wanna go home, I'm going mobile. Behind blue eyes. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man. To be the sad man. Behind blue eyes. And closing off the album with Won't Get Fooled Again. We don't get fooled again. We uh, we don't talk a whole lot about uh, you know original formatting for these, but this is a not the first album to have nine tracks, and it's it's been making me think like a lot of a lot of rock songs are sort of four minutes long, and when you've got the limitations of an LP, you end up with these sort of like nine, 10, 11 track albums. Cause you can kind of fit about five songs on each side. Yeah. And, uh, it just becomes kind of a standard. I think in the, we grew up in sort of more of the cassette and CD era. And these, uh, these albums end up feeling sort of short, uh, with that 45 minute cap that they have on them. Um, but it's, it's becoming quite a constant thing in this, this list to see albums like this. And, and when we get a, a bigger one, it's a double album then with, you know, 20 plus tracks. Um, 
because they can fit a whole lot on yeah that's right as the for as the technology and formats change and those big albums that we saw you know er earlier in terms of time uh, had to be double album right i like how the just do some just some general comments i like how the whole album itself the first and last track bookended with a lot of really interesting uh, synth sounds. Uh, yeah. Bob O'Reilly, which is, you know, the first minute is all synth and delays and relays and all that. And the whole song has a lot of it. And then Won't Get Fooled Again is, again, organ and synth and all this just just looping around and around. And, and Won't Get Fooled Again, I think, always surprises me by how long it is. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think the radio edit is... is cuts it off but if you listen to the whole thing on the album it's over eight minutes uh yeah. so it just keeps going and with these long you know synth organ uh components i think i'm appropriately using the term epic yeah well and i i guess coming out of the uh theatrical sort of origin of this album um it makes sense to have these two grand sweeping songs sort of open up everything and then close everything out um i'm curious if that's a part of the album structure once they moved away from the rock opera but um it still sort of feels appropriate for that kind of thing when i listen to the music and i try in my mind to single out the individual musicians and instruments i feel like each one is a is a soloist kind of playing a solo the whole time even even roger daltrey with from keith moon's crazy drum licks and riffs all over the place just these huge fills and tom rolls and all sorts of stuff to john entwistle's very creative and melodic bass lines that's one thing i've always liked about the who but never really knew it like uh <laughs> yesterday uh, i was working in the warehouse we always have the radio on and uh won't get fooled again was on and i was humming along to the bass line well i was singing the bass. Doo, 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 doo. i was singing it and a guy walked by and he goes easy there bass line <laughs> uh, i didn't awesome. even really realize that i was doing it i was just it's just a part of the song that i really like I, you know i play bass and and i i like creative bass lines but john entwistle does that through the whole album all over the place yeah you know um, and uh, Roger Daltrey uh, has a huge range, um, and I love all his all the screams. You know these rock and roll screams. Wow, you know, yeah. just like uh, almost boring from like a James Brown, but but they're longer and grittier and more rock and rolly. I love it. But um, my general comments were uh, synthesizer, drum licks, rock and roll screams. <laughs> That was that's that's the summary of the album. <laughs> Keep it in time. Yeah, yeah, but but the but the like the the four musicians who are all soloists who have come together and are all playing solos throughout the the songs in the album, yeah, not in a competitive way. Yeah, they make it work pretty so well. I, but you're right; I hadn't really thought about that before. But, you, but you're right; there's something about that element. Um, hmm. I'll have to give that some more thought. With the exception of Keith Moon, they all sing lead. Um, John Entwistle only sings lead on My Wife, uh, but uh, Pete Townsend sings lead on uh, a few tracks. 
and until listening to it and reading the name at the same time, I couldn't tell. I mean, I, yeah. I should be able to pick out Roger Daltrey's voice, but the other guys sing very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, when I hear Going Mobile, which is all Pete Townsend, um, I, I had no idea it wasn't Daltrey. Yep. And maybe that says something to my ignorance, but I, I think they all do, do a great job. They have good voices. And yeah. I don't want to say, well, they all sound like Roger Daltrey, uh, but they all sound good. Um, you know, and I guess that happens when you have artists who kind of grow up and doing the same thing. But It's interesting, uh, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it's not super common. You know, we just talked very recently about Fleetwood Mac. Uh, now, those were men and women, but there was uh, three of them who could all sing very well and shared. I mean, again, that's not very common that you have that. But in a group of all guys that you would have them, three different men share lead vocals commonly that's pretty that's pretty unique usually it's just one guy yeah you know it's just it's just Mick Jagger um I guess I guess the Beatles shared a lot too oh maybe all the best fans <laughs> did have <laughs> more than one vocalist yeah it is interesting um we we should probably before maybe this needs to be up in details but um two of the band members are no longer living right that's true and uh, I wonder if that changes sort of, um, you know, how we still see them perform occasionally on uh, the Grammys or something like that uh, with people filling those other roles. Um, yes. But they're not limping around like the Rolling Stones. No. Uh, <laughs> they're touring. They're touring right now. Oh. It's 2000. There's right now. It's 2019. In case you're listening in the future. Um, and they're the two guys. They're doing another tour. I think there's more energy. Mm-hmm. Um, like Pete Townsend still does the windmill thing, and you know Roger Daltrey flies around. I think they have some energy from some younger players as well. I know for a long time, uh, Pino Palladino played uh, bass with them. He's a great bassist. Okay. Um, but he uh, he played on a number of John Mayer's albums too. Played in the John Mayer Trio. Um, and has done done many things. Um, I'm not sure who was playing, who plays drums for them. They kind of mix it up. But I think of Keith Richards and um, Ronnie Wood, kind of because you said the Stones, kind of standing there most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Um, and I imagine and and can picture the Who, yeah, moving around a lot more, being a little more electric. Um, huh. Side note: there for years uh, they. You know, especially after John Entwistle passed in 2002, they were kind of, I don't think they were rumors. I think people just hoping that the two members, the two surviving members of the Who, which were the lead, the lead section and the two surviving members of the Beatles, which was the rhythm section, would join to form the Hoodles. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... That'd be fun. You want to make you want to make some money. <laughs> people people would they? I mean, not that any of these guys need money. I don't think. Right. But like, oh man, you imagine people paying through the nose to see those four guys play together. <laughs> Holy moly! <laughs> yeah. Well, should we dive um, into tracks? Uh, for years, because we listened to again a lot of these songs on the radio. Yeah. For years, I thought "Behind Blue Eyes" was Neil Young. Oh. It must have been probably close to a decade of hearing that song before 
I, I don't know, you listen to a song on the radio and for whatever reason, for years, you always miss the part where they say who it is or you're not paying attention. Yeah. And I never heard them say uh, that was Behind Blue Eyes by The Who. I always thought it was Neil Young, maybe because his vocal is a little more nasally and it's a little more acoustic picking. I It was a familiar song for me uh, as well, but I don't think I had any sense of who it was by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay. okay. I, just, I think that you, uh, you just had no clue. Yeah, that that opening um, kind of harmony, harmonizing, I guess you could call it, almost reminds me of Crosby, Stills, Nash. That probably would have been my and young, or sometimes young, or no young, and sometimes young. <laughs> uh, so that would have probably been my guess. And doesn't you know until they sort of kick it into higher gear halfway through the song. Um, it doesn't feel like a, this is probably something sacrilegious because fans will be screaming right now, but it doesn't feel like a song I would associate with The Who. Um, and I was surprised to find it here. I think at the end, when, when it gets into more electric and drums, it's that mm-hmm. very, I don't know how to describe, there's this sound, this way he plays the guitar chords a lot where he hits like the bottom note and then the top, mm-hmm. like going up the octave you know you know what i'm talking about you hear that in a lot of the songs i I don't know if there's a term for that i don't know it uh but i feel like he does that a lot once we kick again kick it into uh you know the full-blown sound on this song but you're right it doesn't it sounds like a different style almost almost. reminds me a little bit of uh house of the rising sun by the animals uh Yep. I've got that like yep. melancholy minor key as a start. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, picking. picking just yeah. picking single <laughs> note. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good uh, good comparison. Um, I think we could probably spend the whole episode talking about Bob O'Reilly. Um, just <laughs> <laughs> just maybe for the the name alone, um, a problematic name for a number of reasons. When you type Teenage Wasteland into Wikipedia, it takes you to Bob O'Reilly, which says something about how confusing this song is for anyone who's getting into the band. Uh, Why'd they choose that title Uh, and not the clearly obvious one of Teenage Wasteland? Um, I, for a lot of years, thought it was Bob O'Reilly and (laughs) and had that same thought (laughs) when... uh, (laughs) when I went to the track list for this show and sort of chuckled to myself thinking, oh yeah, but it is Bob O'Reilly, isn't it? That doesn't sound right in my head, but it is. And um, yeah, and I often forget that title too and, and just think about it as Teenage Wasteland, it, which is so funny for such an iconic song to have that kind of clunky labeling associated with it. So again, it was a song he, uh, that Townsend wrote for yep. Lighthouse. Sorry, not Lighthouse. Lifehouse. Lifehouse. Um, so the name uh, is just Townsend paying tribute tribute to two of his mentors. M- I'm going to say this wrong. Meher, M-E-H-E-R, Meher Baba, which is his uh, his guru, and uh, Terry Riley. He's a co- American composer. I think a, a spiritual mentor and a musical mentor, a min- minimalist composer. Uh, Townsend wanted to input the vital sounds uh, and personality of Meher Baba into the synthesizer and then generate the music based on the 
data and that didn't quite work but that was that was the concept (laughs) it's a a song that gets celebrated by um teenage party scenes and the bands didn't want it to be Mm. that they were sort of they were talking about the the sort of destruction of teenage lifestyle especially around their experience at woodstock um and and so it's this ironic song too i guess you know sort of we're all wasted kind of is sort of a celebratory kind of sound in the middle and uh, right it's actually just sort of like poking at that problematic aspect of the teenage years yeah more satirical yeah political commentary um uh this is still used very commonly today all the time um there was a just this year 2019 there was a t-mobile commercial with all sorts of baseball players with it in and um do you watch stranger things on netflix i don't so the uh the third season came out earlier this summer and the trailer which i mean people go nuts for trailers these days but the trailer uh very prominently featured this song Hmm. especially because the main characters are now moving into their teen years so it was very very fitting teenage wasteland yeah the the theme of this third season is really a lot about coming of age uh so they use that song so i mean it's and and we've heard it hundreds of times before yeah it's very 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 not to skip ahead but this song at least on its own is very relevant still used all the time yeah in some strange and different ways too like i think it was part of sure. the trailer of a Bug's Life and American Beauty were two films that I learned <laughs> while I was going through some stuff this afternoon. Jeez, um, like I don't know. I, I guess it just sets a certain tone when you when you hear those those opening notes come along. Um, that filmmakers especially just really appreciate. So. I know I've heard Going Mobile before, and I feel like it must have been in like a cell phone carriers commercial <laughs> campaign at some point. I know I've heard it on a on commercial. The nose. Yeah. We've talked about this before. When I look at the names of the songs, other than some of the more familiar ones, mm-hmm. Bob O'Reilly, uh, Bargain, Going Mobile Behind Blue Eyes and Won't Get Fooled Again. The other ones, I can't think I can't think of what they sound like when I read the name. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's just maybe that's because I haven't listened to it enough yeah. yet. Like I listened to it a few times. This is one of the times where my preconceived notion kind of matched with what I felt like after I listened to it, where I really, really, really enjoyed the the hits or some of the more familiar songs. Yeah. And don't really feel I need to come back to the other ones. <laughs> I heard a, I heard a lot, and again, subjective, but I heard a lot of similarities yeah. between the songs. A lot of the same guitar sounds and movements now if he was writing a rock opera and dare we say concept album there are supposed to be repeating themes both lyrically and musically so that's not a criticism but if you're just listening i kept hearing a song and going didn't i already listen to that song (laughs) oh it was a different song it sounds the same there's one exception to Um, that i felt i felt very similarly but the song is over it has a very different kind of vibe on it uh, and yeah. it pulls me in in a way that I was not expecting. I th- I thought most of the album would be, especially going through the first few tracks, I was like, okay, I get this. It's going to feel like 
well, it's not going to feel as bad as the Rolling Stones album we already covered because it's not two two uh, <laughs> it's not two albums in one. Uh, it's fortunately only nine tracks. But I thought, okay, it's just going to feel the same all the way through. But then that song came on, and I was like, oh wow, what is this? This is different, and this feels, um, I don't know, far more experimental maybe than I was anticipating. And uh, I really like it. I've actually, I think last, uh, one of our recent album reviews, you talked about waking up in the morning with a song stuck in your head. And that's been this song for me. The song is over. Um, is one that's just like come into my consciousness uh, in a way that the rest of the album has not really. Um, I'm not sure what it is about that song either. It, it's different. It's softer. It's very pretty. Um, again, tons of synth. Mm-hmm underneath the piano very beautiful piano and once again uh pete townsend singing on the verses because mm-hmm. i hear it and i think oh daltrey here's daltrey singing in his high register it's pete townsend yeah so yeah no it is pretty i just again maybe it's just the repetition i haven't i don't know um it's just not it's not as memorable to me as the other ones the yeah yeah I'm trying to figure out which of these songs I'd actually heard before. I know for sure that Bob O'Reilly and Won't Get Fooled Again are songs that got played quite frequently. Behind Blue Eyes is another one. Yeah, those are the those are the three singles. Those are the three singles? Okay. Yeah, Won't Get Fooled Again, Bob O'Reilly, Behind Blue Eyes. What other songs have been on the radio? Or do you think that's um, pretty much it from this album? Because some of these feel very familiar, but now that I've gone through the album a few times, I can't figure out if it's just because they fit with a s- style or sound, or because they're songs that I would have heard as a younger. Well, I've I know I've heard "Bargain" and "Going Mobile" before, but I can't say that I've heard it on the radio or regularly. Now, radio these days, you know, you will have a radio station that will put a song in a circulation that wasn't initially a single yeah you know that now you listen to a lot that is now sort of a single or it's been singleized they might play bargain now but maybe i don't think it was initially a single uh, so maybe again like because of the way we we play music and listen to music and license music now it doesn't really matter yeah. anymore but bargain um, sounds a lot to me like the other uh, another who song um i can see for miles something about the way it builds yeah and so i can't decide if i've <laughs> if i've heard this song before <laughs> or if it just reminds me of another one of their songs and i think i feel that way about a number <sighs> of the tracks too <laughs> like yeah um it you're right there is something about this that i can understand as really good rock and roll uh and right. just not really resonate in the same way as with some other bands yeah and that's again i don't want to say that that's negative but it just as i'm less familiar with the songs i'm just hearing it and forgetting which one it is because it sounds like some of the other ones uh i knew that it was used for csi so won't get fooled again was the theme song for uh, csi miami okay but that was followed because they used a Who song for the theme of every CSI. So the first CSI was <laughs> Who Are Who Are You because it kind of fit with the theme. And then when they did New York, they used Bob O'Reilly. And then after that, they did CSI Miami and used Won't Be Fooled Again. So always a Who song. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I, I never really watched the show, so maybe there's some CSI 
fans who got into the Who. Yeah. I searched through uh, YouTube just briefly this afternoon, trying to see if uh, Getting in Tune was ever done on Sesame Street. Um, because oh. <laughs> I think this, the, the line in there, I'm singing this note because it fits so well. Like one note is playing. It just seems like a kind of very childish kind of like <laughs> kid on a piano. Uh, <laughs> that, that is good. Uh, but apparently no. Is this album still relevant? Um, man, I feel like a broken <laughs> record here. I think we find this on a lot of the albums that we can't imagine a time before this music. And sure. it's really hard to think about a world that hadn't heard these sort of dun, 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 you know, like a song that just sort of punches you like yeah, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I bet this was shocking the first time it came on the radio. Oh, for sure. It just feels familiar. And it doesn't feel jarring. It, you know, it's been a part of cartoons that we grew up with, you know? So, uh, uh, cartoon films, I should say. Um, so, it's really hard for me to think about this music um, in a critical way that's not... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. The problem with any of these reviews is that we bring our own baggage to them and our own experience. And, uh, sure. And yeah. this is a tricky one, I think, because it's not something I've been drawn to. I appreciate it as really good, and uh, and it's probably not something that I'll revisit again. So uh, is it right. relevant? <sighs> it's probably something I'm, I'm, I'm glad I have heard it. And I'm glad I'll be able to point people in a certain direction if they're curious about where a certain song from The Who falls. Um, but I don't know. I don't. I don't think if a if a artist from today was like, "Oh man, who's an album? What's an album from that list that I really should be getting into?" I don't think this album is going to come to my mind as like, you know, if you want to be relevant today, pick up The Who's Who's Next. I think when when I'm struggling to answer this question, the other question I ask is if I put this album on in the general public, or at very least in amidst a group of people who listen to rock music today, yeah, would they want to listen to it, or would would it still be interesting? Yeah. Uh, so the three singles, I would absolutely. Say, well, the, uh, hey, come on, you're taking my thunder. <laughs> I was going to say the, the hits. I think are very relevant. Yeah. The rest of the album, maybe not so much. And I want to blend that in with, yeah. you know, is it, does it sound dated? I think some of the synth sounds are very, very mm-hmm. dated as early 70s, early synth experimental sounds that maybe over the next 10 or 20 years, they changed it a bit. To, well, that kind of sounds corny now. So let's change it because we have this new sound. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's kind of how, kind of getting to concluding thoughts, but that's kind of how I feel about the whole album. There are parts I really like, and there are parts that I could do without. Again, not that they're not good or that I don't like them. They're just not as memorable. Mm-hmm. But when it hits, it hits really hard. Yeah. Um, where they have it on, Bob O'Reilly, Won't Get Fooled Again, even Behind Blue Eyes. And I love when it comes in with the energy and the tempo later on. It it really hits hard. So, yeah, mixed. I Can I say mixed feelings? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Album has been released with mixed reviews. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
we give it five stars. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's the challenge. And I, I think this next question that we always ask, you know, was it sound logic to include it here? Uh, I feel kind of lukewarm about yeah, that as what, well. What do you like, think? I, I don't know. It's not. It's not going to. You know, if we were making our own custom rankings of the entire five hundred, it's not going to be my. It's not going to make my tw- top twenty-eight. But I don't think so. It's not bad either. Like it no. doesn't deserve to be knocked down a whole lot. It's just. It's just not something I would put here. It's personal preference, I guess. Yeah, I personally, I don't need it to be top thirty. I think there's going to be many albums as we continue all the way through this list that have iconic and really fun, memorable songs on it. Yeah. So if that's all it takes to get on this list, then I don't know why this is that much higher. Again, again, it was was early seventies. It's iconic. It's got staying power, all those things. Yeah. Um, But if this was the follow-up to Tommy, but this didn't make it as a rock opera, why is Tommy so much further down on the list um it would be (laughs) comfortable question for another time i guess (laughs) i I know that's why i didn't i kind of stopped myself and i can say i would be comfortable with this album anywhere between 30 and 50 okay um i don't need to bump it all the way to the bottom i i see the significance of it and the staying power uh baba o'reilly and won't get fooled again very iconic songs uh groundbreaking in terms of the sound and the Who, a, a very important groundbreaking band in rock and roll. Uh, yeah. But I don't see it needing to be, you know, we've talked about albums that are so significant, so um, yeah. influential that are still coming up here. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, well, I, I don't think it yeah. needs to be. the. the I, I, I guess the word is need. I don't think it needs to be this high. Mm-hmm. I, I'm comfortable if it's lower. I'm not upset that it's at 28. I think there's enough album. If there's albums that come after this, it should be higher. There's enough albums that have come before it <laughs> mm-hmm. that could go after it yeah. um, that we didn't much care for either. So yeah, yeah. no, it's a tough one because I, I don't think it's a no. bad. It's not a poorly constructed album either. No, um, it's it doesn't have a bunch of songs that I feel like I want to skip. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't feel disjointed or clunky. Um, it's really well done. Um, I don't know. I feel like, you know, if we're getting it a grade, I feel like it gets a solid B plus, like just <laughs> like, uh, you know, this is not going to be the butt of jokes for the next, you know, we're not going to treat this like highway 61. Well, um, I think, I think uh, that's the title of the review, right? Or we need to put that on a t-shirt. Uh, the who's the who's next, a solid B plus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Like it's not really a slam, but it's also not really saying that right. it's great. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, yeah, and I feel bad saying that because, um, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and I'm also recognizing that we're coming off a pretty impressive stretch here. Um, oh, geez. Like we just know, talked about some very iconic albums. This doesn't come anywhere close in my mind to the Joshua Tree rumors, Live at the Apollo, Intervisions. You know, and so <laughs> fitting that in with uh, yeah, no, what's in I my agree. head, like you know, I I can't I can't bump this higher. Um, and the only yeah. thing sort of p- making me pause is yep. that there's some stuff above it that I'd rather listen to. Oh, sorry, there's there's stuff above it that I think deserves to be below it. Um, so, right. so I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, at least one at least, higher, maybe at least one higher. I don't know. 
So uh, we want to start talking about if this band has any more albums on the top 500 list. What do you mean start? So <laughs> it's something that we have often mentioned. Oh yeah, true. Just as a, <laughs> just as a clunky add-on. We're going add to plan to talk about it now. It's much better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, where does this show up? <laughs> it's the manager in me that wants to always explain what we're going to do before we do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So this was 28. Uh, Tommy comes in at 96. The Who sell out at 115. Number 170, Live at Leeds. My Generation, 237. Quadrophenia. Is that how you would say that? I guess so. Quadrophenia at 267. And a quick one at 384. So. They have seven albums. With seven albums on this list, that's pretty significant. There's uh, artists like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and Dylan who come in ahead of them with having more on this list. Um, I just looked quickly on the Wikipedia page for Rolling Stones' greatest albums of all time, and um, Springsteen comes in with eight, and Clapton has a couple solo albums, three with Cream, one with Derek and the Dominoes, one with the Yardbirds, and one with John Mayall and the Blues breakers uh, and then comes the who with with seven albums there so um they're they're near the top of having the most albums on this list of 500 but we don't really know their music but we don't really know their music <laughs> so really i mean yeah we've got six chances here to really fill out that catalog and get a sense of it um it's going to take us some time to get to a few of these but uh it, it'll be interesting i you know having a luke lukewarm experience this time uh i think the bar has been lowered a little bit my expectations are not going to be so high when we get to the next one well that that method worked for bob dylan it's worked very well for bob dylan and uh i'm sure you just keep liking his albums more and more as we go <laughs> exactly lower right. on this list <laughs> that's exactly right yeah uh, well yeah. you don't have to wait long number 31 we're going to do another one but <laughs> yeah and some Rolling Stones coming up here too, a band that we've mentioned quite frequently yes. this album yeah. as well. So here we go. Yeah. Well, that concludes our review of the Who's Who's Next. Mm -hmm. We want to thank you for finding us and for taking the time out of your busy life to join us and listen to our podcast. We hope you join us next time when we discuss... What is it, Ben? Coming up next at number 29 is Led Zeppelin. And you won't believe this, but it's by a band called Led Zeppelin. Should be a good one. Very creative. Yeah. <laughs> Very creative. Well, as always, good to talk to you, my friend. You bet. Have a great evening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.